We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day. Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. We're recording right after the Lakers won a huge game against the Clippers, won 123 to 120 in overtime, in what was not always the most uh, relaxing game to watch, but it was huge in terms of standings. The Clippers are the most gettable of the playoff teams, and if the Lakers lost that game, they would have fallen three games behind the eight seed, and now they're just one. So big win for the Lakers, and not a moment too soon. LeBron James has returned. He was initially listed as being out for the game and then uh, upgraded to doubtful and then ended up playing in the game and played 40 minutes in it. So we're going to talk about LeBron's return. The Lakers have everybody with the exception of Lonzo Ball healthy now, and we're going to discuss kind of what that means. So just a I, you know, in a broad sense, first impression, what do you think of, of LeBron in, in his return, Darius? Um, I thought he looked probably about like 70, 80 percent. Yeah, he said in the post game that he was about 80 percent. Yes, like he didn't have the same burst. Um, you could tell that he wasn't looking to exert himself in any real way. I think his um, the play where he actually looked the most... I don't, I don't know, quick or athletic was that last drive of the game where he tried to go to his left hand and then the ball got tip, tipped away. They reviewed it and then it was the last possession of, or the last Lakers possession of regulation. 
and you know he made that quick drive to his left hand that was probably the most burst he showed the entire game the rest of the game he looked pretty much like he was i don't want to say going through through the motions cuz he was clearly playing with with purpose mentally I feel like, but physically you could tell he had dialed it down at least a notch and probably a notch and a half just to sort of ease his way back in. A lot of switching defensively, um, not a lot of closeouts, you know, he was purposely, I feel like, guarding um, non-offensive players even if that was not a natural matchup to him, so I felt like he found ways to get switched on to... um, Shea Gilgis Alexander several times, like right, in the first right. half, for example, and just went under screens and didn't close out. Um, did well on the backboards. Um, he did a lot of like old man game stuff, which I thought yeah. was very useful. And I also thought his presence really energized the team around him. And so I thought the rest of the team did a really good job of sort of compensating for his sort of, I don't want to say lack of energy, but but just the the pace that he was playing at the rest of the players I felt like were flying around the floor a little bit more around him to compensate for that the one thing that he always brings is command of the game and yeah he was you know barely doing anything on the defensive end other than rebounding um and Lakers gave up a ton of open threes as a result of his defense even if the if the ball was rotated and it wasn't necessarily his guy that shot. You know, a, a lot of the breakdowns were because of LeBron. Um, <clears throat> I don't think it, to, this game made me realize that their offense had changed when he was out in terms of like how they space the floor, the sets that they run. It, it seemed like there was some degree of kind of figuring things out of who to play with who. And to put it on a on a broader sense, one of the things that concerned me, especially toward the end of the game, was just how little spacing they had around him and just how packed the paint was. You had this lineup with LeBron and Brandon, who I want to get to, by the way, because that was the best he's played alongside LeBron, in my opinion. Uh, JaVale, they were rotating JaVale and Tyson a ton, Lance Stevenson and Rondo. And Lance, when Lance is really your best three-point shooter in a lineup, man, it just... Causes difficulty. I, I I don't know why, man. I'm like, I find myself irritated, even though that was a big win. Maybe it was because they were they were playing pretty well for three quarters, and then they crapped bed in the fourth quarter and just saved it in overtime. They got the benefit of a, a huge blown call on what should have been an offensive foul against Lance on Boban, um, and just some defensive breakdowns. Things like I don't know. I well, they also made some boneheaded plays. Um, yeah, yeah. You you know, like, so the play where, and, you know, we said this, I said this to you before we went, went online, I don't want to be all dour. It was a really good win, and they needed to find a way to pull it out after making some, some of these mistakes, and they did, so credit to them for that. Um, but we are going to rant for a few minutes just about some of the mistakes just because I think that's how both of our brains work a little bit. I thought Rondo helping off of um, Tobias Harris down the stretch of regulation that gave up the game-tying three, that was a big mistake. Um, I thought Rondo fumbling that ball, um, I commented about it on, on Twitter, but in overtime where 
he had sort sort of um, an open gap towards the right lane line, and I LeBron tried to lead him into that area with <laughs> with a pass. And Rondo was already looking ahead to what his next pass was going to be rather than looking to attack the basket where the advantage was that LeBron was trying to pass him into. And so LeBron, so Rondo sort of reached for the ball but was already making a move away from where LeBron was, was passing, and he ended up fumbling that ball. Lou Williams takes the ball the other way and gets a layup. Um, Rondo's last-second inbound attempt where he threw it off of Boban's leg you you know the lakers made several small mistakes that could have really cost them the the tobias mistake was i thought a really big one cuz obviously it it tied the game but in the fourth quarter i thought that they just didn't bring the same sort of energy um and it cost them defensively and on the backboards they gave up too many offensive rebounds. And then also because they didn't have that same energy defensively in the fourth quarter that they had in the third well, third quarter, they were just a half a step out of position or a full step out of position consistently. And that led to all those fouls, um, which got the, got the Clippers into the penalty early. The Clippers, I think, are a, a top five or a top 10 free throw shoe shooting team in, well, well, in the league. So... They really took advantage of those free points. And it was just one of those things where you could see the lead whittling away. And it was just frustrating, man. Like, like you wanted them to be a little bit better and and to just show a little bit of that command and and hold them off. Because they did such a good job in the third quarter of, of sort of creating that separation that you thought, okay, just like keep playing this way and you're going to be okay. But they totally reverted to a bunch of bad habits, I thought. Yeah, yeah, man. In the fourth quarter, you know, I tweeted out, I love how the, the Lakers have been defending tonight. I tweeted that out toward the end of the third. And they'd really done things well. They were rotating a lot. They were hedging hard. They were doubling in opportunistically, uh, just being really smart, great energy level. And then the lineup to start the fourth, if I remember correctly, it was Rondo, Lance. No, it may not have been may not have been Rondo in there at, at the beginning. But I think uh, it was Lance. It, I think it was, it was Lance, Lance without LeBron right. and Rondo. And, and so Ingram, yeah. Right. But KCP and Hart were two guys that stood out to me. And while you were talking, you know, I was thinking about like why does Rondo frustrate me as much as he does? And it's a similar frustration to what can be frustrating about LeBron is I feel like sometimes when guys are like super, super smart, those are sometimes the guys that bring the least amount of energy because they can do something clever, right? Like they, they do that like wizard trick, right? Where they're not doing anything crazy physical, right? But they think that they can beat you with their mind. And sometimes you need to like beat the opponent with your body and with your effort and, and your, your physical tools. And then Josh and KCP especially, some of the mistakes are so dumb that they they just drive me crazy, right? So it's it's two completely opposite ends of the spectrum where I rarely have an issue with KCP's effort or Josh's effort, but there's like, what the hell are you doing? And then with Rondo, but then again with Rondo, like you said, that you had that help off of Tobias Harris that allowed that three to tie the game uh, with 35-ish seconds left in, in regulation, and then that last inbounds playoff of the leg. I don't know, just all of it. I, I'm still putting my finger on why this team frustrates me as much as it does, 
So I'm going to change the sub- subject. Well, can I, I just add too that please, there is please. that there's just a certain lack of discipline that they have at times. Is, it, is that Luke? I mean, discipline is normally a code word for coaching. No, I actually don't think it's I, it's I coaching be yeah. because I think the players who lack dis- who lack the most discipline are the veteran players. Actually, yeah. um. Guys who should know better. Guys who should know better or guys who just are so ingrained. It's it's so ingrained in them to play the way that they play, right? Like after a certain number of years in the league, there's a reason why the saying you are what you are exists. Um, you, you know, players' ability to perform each night can sort of vary, but I think that there are inherent traits that exist with with certain players. Like, so for example, one of the things that I felt like Luke was searching for tonight with his center rotation was um, a player who could both combat the energy, who could combat the energy of Harrell, could combat the size of Boban, and could combat the craftiness of Lou Williams. And I felt like not a single center the Lakers have could do all three of those things. And Luke was searching for someone within given possessions or stretches of the game to try to, to, to thwart the efforts of one of those given guys. And down the stretch, I felt like the, the matchups that were giving him the most problems were how can we sort of limit Boban in the pick and roll while also containing Lou Williams on on the drive and and can, can I jump in real quick? Yes, please. Brandon Ingram had a couple of possessions on Lou Williams. He is the only guy that has even remotely close to a shot at containing him. Just in that he's so long and and Lou's a small guy, right? I, I thought that Luke did not go to that nearly as much as he could have or should have. Secondly. If there's a time to go small, maybe this seems counterintuitive, it's against Boban. You want to run his ass off of the court, right? Like, that's why he doesn't play for 30 minutes a game, right? And partially it's conditioning, right, and his size and whatnot. But, like, to me, trying to bang with him on, you know, and, and have a physical guy match up with him is playing right into their hands. I felt that Luke kind of kept Boban on the court and effective a lot longer. And, and I thought that, along with not putting Brandon on to Lou, was one of the big reasons the Lakers gave up so many points in that fourth quarter. Well, I, I also thought, too, that, um, and I'm glad that he finally went to this adjustment, if, if you even want to call it an, an adjustment, but I felt like he really started to instill late, like, look, weak side rotation, like, don't even think about, it's not a tag, it's a swarm. Yes. Right. Yeah. So you can't tag Boban. He like, <laughs> right <laughs> be, because he will just walk right through you and finish at the rim. What you really have to do is get in there and and contest the pass. Like they're gonna throw that looping parabola lob pass to to Boban. They're not gonna throw a little pocket bounce pass to him. You, right, they're gonna float it up there. They're gonna let him grab it with those two big mitts, and then he's gonna, you know, nerf ball it and put it right into the and lay it right into the basket or dunk it if he's close enough. Yeah. 
And yeah. I felt like there were a few possessions late where they tried that same same tactic, and the Lakers did a finally did a good job of rotating mm-hmm. weak side. They got a couple of tipaways, or they contested passes. A couple of them resulted in fouls, but that's fine. And then on one key possession, LeBron made a really early and good rotation and sort of stood Boban up, right? Yep. And yep. it forced the ball out into another pass and then that's what led to sort of like a forced outside jumper that well that missed and it was sort of I felt like the Lakers made enough plays down the stretch clearly to win the game and so I think they deserve a lot of credit for that right it wasn't pretty there were some dumb plays that we've gone over we're not gonna rant on those anymore it but down the stretch, they did enough to win the game. And honestly, man, like, look, they went, what, 6-11 and 11 in the 17 games that, that LeBron missed? Mm-hmm. They have not done a lot of make-enough plays in the last no. month and a half. And, and, and so let's talk about some of the good things. So I, I want to talk about Brandon Ingram. I, I thought he was the Lakers' best player on the court in this game. He was uh, on both ends of the court in that the way he fit in in this one was how I've envisioned like how it could look alongside LeBron. I actually didn't think they quite went to him enough, whether it be on handoffs or in high post type actions. But there were so many plays where he, like there was one where he caught the ball on a swing and he attacked a closeout and he, he drove into the paint like he was going to go up and then he dumped it off and Tyson Chandler made a dive cut from the free throw line or so, and he got a bucket out of it. That, But Brandon is the only guy who can make that pass with his length, right? And it was there were so many plays, both as a scorer and as a passer, where it was like, this was, and it was, it was like an itch getting scratched. We always talk about this secondary creator, this secondary ball handler type of guy, and that terminology is not like a lesser than type of guy. It's just... He catches the ball after the first action's run. He catches it, and then that's when he goes to to attack. He's an attacker, right? You you don't want him setting the table. You want him finishing. And it was just wonderful to see him doing that. And I, I actually think that since Rondo's come back, he's been in that role more. But I thought, you know, hey, when LeBron comes back, it's going to be a little more complicated. But to me, this was the best game that he's had alongside LeBron because we saw exactly what that meant. Rather than it being theoretical, we saw it in action. And I thought he just played a wonderful game. Yeah, I would also say, say too, that in the last week and a half to two weeks, one of the things I've noticed with, with Ingram is that he's moving a lot better off of the ball. Yes. So he's so he's cutting with more authority. He's he's cutting with better timing and with better instincts. Um, he's being rewarded for those cuts. It wasn't this game. It was um, the previous game against Philly, where obviously he had an, a really strong scoring game with a lot of baskets. Like not only in the mid range, but I think he had you you know like. I think he went seven of eight or seven of nine, like in the restricted area. So he was obviously finishing not only with force, but, but with, with high efficiency. He, he, there was a play in that game where the Lakers run that little uh, sideline rub screen action, right? So the ball is usually above the top of the key. They'll run a little pin down and, and usually that player will curl 
towards the free throw line area. They run it a lot for KCP and they run it a lot for Kuzma. They've been running it more for Ingram in the past, I don't know, couple of weeks or so. I've noticed it at least. And what Ingram's been trying to do some is is read that action to figure out like, okay, he's not necessarily like this great catch, pivot, and shoot, or or even curl, curl off a screen. He's much more comfortable doing that in handoff situations. So what Ingram's been doing is he's been reading that that screen action and cutting back door more. Um, yep. And he had a beautiful lob off of that action uh, against, against Philly. Philly. Yes. And I think a lot of people have been down on on Ingram for a variety of reasons. Um you know, be it the way that he's being used as coaches or by the coaches or or his individual shot selection. Um, but I said this during the game, man, like Ingram's finding ways to play 15 feet and in. He, and he's clearly worked on his game 15 feet and in. He's got little fate, like he's got fading jumpers to his left side. He's got little turnaround jumpers that that are hard to block because of his length. He draws fouls on jump shots. He's got nice little reverse pivot and drop step moves to finish with little spin moves with with layups around the rim. He can turn turn and face and take that one long stride and put the ball behind his head and then, you know, unfurl that arm and get shots in the restricted area. And it's not always pretty. It's not always like he's not Giannis down there where everything is being finished with with authority and force like he doesn't have that body right but but what he's starting to show is that if he can get catches at 18 feet he has enough of a handle and he's got enough craft and ability to get you you know just five to eight feet closer and get in areas where he's just super dangerous and and the more the Lakers can sort of take advantage of that, and that doesn't mean you have to eliminate all his screen and roll actions. It doesn't mean that that you have to like take the ball out out of his hands completely as as a primary initiator. I think that there's there's value add in long term growth by continuing to give him chances in those situations. It's just. It's it's sort of what we've talked about though the whole year is is sort of finding that that right balance and we talked about it right before Lonzo got well got hurt is I thought in that stretch when Lonzo was playing really well Ingram was starting to find a better balance because Lonzo was taking some of that usage from him and now that Lonzo's hurt but LeBron is back what I'm hoping is is that. That usage may go down a little bit more because now he's in lineups with Rondo and LeBron, but that that can then turn into him getting more opportunities in these spots and areas on the floor where now he's not being guarded by the team's best defensive player. That guy's typically going going to be on LeBron and and Rondo, for all the talk that we had earlier during the pod about you know <laughs> some of the things that we don't like, he still is a valuable sort of setup man and 
and offensive initiator that can get guys in spots and 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 he can set the table for them in really effective ways. So look, like I tweeted this, like like I continue to believe in Brandon Ingram and and I'm like we're gonna talk about trade deadline stuff another day, probably next week before we get into the deadline, but I'm glad that he's showing that he can be this this type of player, if not because oh that makes him a more valuable trade trade piece, but because there's there's still, you know, a pretty good shot that after the trade deadline the Lakers are going to have Brandon Ingram. You know yeah. what I mean? And they're going to continue to need to grow him in ways to have him be be effective, and I liked how he looked playing playing off of LeBron. Even though we both understand that this is not the version of LeBron that is that we hope to see, like two weeks from now or a month from now, right? Brandon was good at the things he could control. What you're talking about with the more assertive cuts off of the ball and understanding where and how and when to do all of that, like even when be- like when better version of LeBron is back, like that's still valuable. It's still going to matter. So before we continue, want to give a shout out to MyPillow. Uh, like the rest of us, you probably made a New Year's resolution. And if you're planning to eat better, exercise more, be more patient, kinder, it all starts with a good night's rest. Go to MyPillow.com, uh, click on the four-pack special, and enter the promo code COZY, and you'll get two premium MyPillows and two go-anywhere pillows. It's amazing what a difference a great pillow makes. If you go to MyPillow.com right now and click on their four-pack, shipping is absolutely free. That's right, no shipping cost. There's nothing better than the gift of restorative sleep. Go to MyPillow.com. I'm talking to you right now, Sasha. Click on the four-pack special and use my code COZY to get two premium MyPillows and two go-anywhere pillows. MyPillow.com or 800-966-1472. And remember, my promo code can be used for any offer on MyPillow.com. Again, that's promo code COZY. So this is probably the team that we have for most of the rest of the year. Lonzo is now out of a walking boot, which is great, but he was still projected to be out for four to six weeks i am if he's back in six weeks from his original injury i will be thrilled i'm skeptical you said it before but we are both skeptical about that so absolutely so for all intents and purposes at least a great portion of the rest of this season is going to be the team that we have right now what are some of the things that they need to get good at or what are some what are what are the keys to the rest of this season being successful with this group? Honestly, man, like we haven't said like we haven't said it tonight, but Josh Hart is not healthy. Kyle Kuzma's not healthy. Um Kuzma played well early in the game. They brought him um the second half was more uneven. Luke tried to go to him in the fourth quarter and honestly, he looked stiff. And he went back to the bench. So if you're asking me, like, what needs to happen, like, great, everyone's back. Everyone's playing. That's fantastic. They also they need to play themselves or get themselves back to being closer to that 90, 95% range. Hart's not only injured but or hurt or banged up, however you want to frame it, but he he's at the point too where i think it's affecting his confidence 
he's not taking some of the open shots that he was taking earlier yeah. during the yeah. year. Um, and and so it's it's cutting both ways for him, you know. Um, like his lack of effectiveness has sort of bled into his want to to keep shoe shooting, and it's one of the reasons why the Lakers were playing the lineup that they were playing down well, well, well down the stretch, right? Like KCP, I felt like wasn't there mentally this game. Yes, agreed. Um, agreed. And so Luke was like, "Oh, you know, we can't have those those types of bone boneheaded mistakes from a guy who is not going to have the ball so much or or not impact the game in in other real ways, right? Like you can live with a run with a a few rondo mistakes here here or there because he's doing so many other things in terms of organizing the offense and this is that and the other. But KCP can't run a two on one break and then throw the ball <laughs> into the feet of the defender and then like what the hell? You know what I mean? Like like you can't have that type of stuff. So he's one of the worst fast break players I've ever seen. Like in terms of handling the ball, like as a guard, I, I've never seen any. I mean, I don't know. Derek Fisher was pretty bad at these too, although he could at least pass the ball. Fisher could. His finishing at the rim was always awful, but it's either that or like a dunk that he tries to, you know, bring from way back behind his head. And anyway, so I, I used to have a jokey tweet about Derek Fisher where um, I'd call him an open court legend. Um, <laughs> yes. For me, the obviously the health of those guys totally is is a, a big issue and yeah they they need to be healthy. Seeing this particular group all together, especially those first three quarters, it it made me realize like the identity of this team, especially with Lonzo out. I think Lonzo changes it a little bit in terms of gives them a little more versatility of the style stylistically what kind of team they could be. be. But I think this team could be really physical. That's something that really stood out to me in the best moments, and that's with LeBron, and that's with LeBron not being his best from a physical standpoint, and you know, like you said, the young guys being hurt. Zubats did not have a great game, but this is a really big team, and if they can't shoot, they better be beating teams up, and that's something that I think that they'll be able to do. They're going to be tested in that respect over this next month they've got a pretty tough schedule coming up they've got a long road trip they only have two home games in the whole month of february and i think that that's going to travel well their physicality i think they were also getting into the part of the season where they know that it's time to turn it up to get into the playoffs to get a, a good seed and all that um in the next pod, we are going to get into the trade deadline obviously there's some news with anthony davis maybe this team looks significantly different by this same time next week uh, that will change the calculus on all of this. But if this is the team that's going into the last 30 games of the season, I do think that that's what they need to be able to lean on. But one of my bigger concerns is from a technical standpoint of just how do you make up for the lack of spacing? Like one of the things that they did a few times in this game that I think Luke is onto something is they space the floor even with non-shooters so that they could dive from the weak side even if if they weren't you know from in the court so there was one play that they set up beautifully where JaVale missed a lob and he was he wasn't quite in the dunker spot he was spaced a little farther out to start the play but they drew it up and LeBron threw a lob and it was a perfect pass but JaVale blew it uh, on the dunk attempt but 
concepts like that of spacing the floor, even if you don't have great shooters, even if it's just for the sake of attacking the rim, that's one thing I'd like to see over the last 30 games. Well, you know, the way that play was set up was JaVale sort of set a screen and then he vacated, right? So he was vacating to actually go space to the corner and it's and it's something that... And he had done this um, in a different part of the game, too. I think it was still in the overtime period where he had gotten a block shot. And when he ran the floor, he didn't run the middle lane. He actually ran he ran the outside lane like he was like Clay Thompson or something. And he ran all the way to the corner and just stood there. Like, so you could tell that Luke was in his ear, that Luke was in these, well, these guys' ears, like, look, you're going to space to, well, to the corner. And that lob play that JaVale missed, he set that screen, he was spacing to the corner, and this was clearly all by design, because the way that the Lakers ran their, their action, they ran a handoff or a screen series to get the ball handler driving left to the space that JaVale had just vacated, knowing that his man wasn't going to follow to the corner. So I think it was Boban who came up to help on on well on LeBron's drive and then LeBron threw through that lob because JaVale never actually spaced all of the way to to the corner he got a little bit past the dunker spot turned right back around and was looking for the lob so that was all that like that was actual play design that wasn't just like instincts or whatever right no no that's what I mean though is that Luke needs to start leaning on that more leaning on spacing concepts concepts <clears throat> even if the, the Lakers don't have the shooters to use those to be able to you know, you know, drive and kick type of situations, but just to create driving lanes. And even if the defender sags off, like, you know, nobody's going to stick on JaVale McGee in the corner necessarily, but that allows a great kickback lane, right? The def- His defender is going to drop into the paint. I'm not worried about JaVale shooting a catch and shoot three. And then you're going to have a kickback opportunity where LeBron drives and then JaVale is going to loop behind him and he's going to be basically setting a screen on JaVale's man on that handoff. It's totally legal play, but those are the types of things I'd like to see Luke using more because I, I watch so many of these. Every time LeBron has to shoot one of those fading 12-footers that he takes, almost all of the time, almost every time he does that, it's a result of there being too many bodies in the paint. Yeah, He likes those little drop steps. He likes to dip his left shoulder and get it into the chest of somebody and finish at the rim. There are too many bodies in the paint. I'm surprised LeBron hasn't said anything about it. Or if he has, that nothing's been, been done about it. Because, like, it, And a lot of times, one of the concepts that Luke does that frustrates me is he likes having somebody in the dunker spot no matter what. And he's very interchangeable about who that is. So there were a couple plays where, like, it was Rondo on one play, and it was Kuz on another. Guys who were in that spot, like get those guys behind the three-point line. Like one of the rules of like five-out offense is that if you cut to break the three-point line and you don't get the ball, you immediately find one of the other spots beyond the three-point line, right? Like every time you break the three-point line, either if you have the ball or not, it's to attack the rim, right? If you can get a layup off of a back cut or off of a dribble drive, that's great. Get it to the rim. But if not, don't hang out below the three-point line. 
if, if you don't get it, flow through to the weak side, fill that spot. The guy that's in that spot kicks up. It's like a wheel the, is, the, is the way that it looks. It's, you know, fill and replace. And we've talked about concepts like these before. And the Lakers, by having, like, I get it if they want to do it with Tyson or with JaVale, guys like that. Seeing guys like Kuzma or Rondo in the dunker spot where they can't really do much positive with it even if like what are you going to do drive and dish Toronto is going to rise up and dunk on you no man like it's, it's the dunker spot for a reason get those guys spaced out so LeBron has room to work with yeah like I could understand Kuzma who has good in-between game right but of all the player but everyone else like Kuzma Kuzma's the only non-dunker gotcha right that's fair who he's got those floaters and yes stuff. who yeah. I could see potentially living in 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 those areas like those are like in sort of a Cedric Sabalos sort of way. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. the little floaters and flip shots like like a little crafty like Euro and then he's sort sort of now like near the restricted area potentially, right? Um stuff like that. Otherwise, just like you said, man, like cut and then flow through. You don't get the ball flow through. I've actually been happier ever since, and I'm by no means going to take credit for this, you and I, right? But I feel like a couple of pods ago when we were complaining, when we were really complaining about the Lakers not really executing um, their like fill and replace principles very well, I actually think since then they've been a little bit better at that. You you know I think that's um, that with what we were talking about with Ingram in terms of cutting with better purpose and timing and understanding of how and when and where that those things are all linked. So I've actually been a little bit happier with what I've seen in in those areas, but I do want to see just like you said more spacing, even if it's not going to lead to more consistent three-point shooting. I'm of the mind that we're far enough into the season now that basically, uh, unless they're super healthy, um, Hart and KCP especially, they're like maybe the only reliable three-point shooters on the team. Everyone else is going to be up and down. And, And so when you talked earlier about things that they can lean on, I actually think it's going to need to be okay physicality i think it's gonna need to be this um getting back to hey can we be a top 10 defensive team now now that everyone is back right except for lonzo lonzo's gonna hurt some in that area but but you know the rest of the team i think has enough athleticism and and positional versatility to hopefully make up for some of that so they're gonna have to find other ways to be successful I also think, too, that as they get back healthy, like they're going to have to pick up the pace a little bit more and run and seek out easy baskets a little bit more. I like what they're doing with their center rotation. Uh, like, I'm not sure how much the players are going to buy in to, you you know, like four, five, six-minute shifts and then they're out, right? And all three centers playing, but all three centers deserve to play. Um, I'm hoping Luke can find the right mix throughout the game because if if that position can can stay fluid 
and bring energy. That's what the rest of the team needs because I think that they can feed feed off of that and they need those big guys in there to anchor. Can I ask you a question? Have have you given up on the idea of going small? No. I mean, does LeBron want to do it? If LeBron's going to do it, then then no, I haven't given up on it. I, I think that that's something that they could switch a lot more than they do. The constant pick and roll issues. That's why I was talking about going small against Boban, not just because you're looking to, you know, run him off of the court, but their pick and roll coverages are, there are weaknesses to every pick and roll coverage that you have. And if you can't switch, you will give up the same type of looks over and over again, the way that we saw in that fourth quarter. It's either going to be the to the roll man and we had Harold killing us and Boban killing us, or you're going to tag or swarm, as you said, with Boban, and then that skip pass is going to be available. That's the, Or there's going to be pick and pops. Uh, you know, pick and pop bigs are going to hurt the Lakers. So the ability to not defend it the same way when one team has to go up against our like one or two pick and roll coverages, which is either a drop or a shock, which is when they show it, the the big comes up to the level of the screen. So it's not a blitz, but he just shows higher. Like that's going to be pretty easy to go up again. I, I'd like them to be able to just have a different look. And, you know, is LeBron going to be willing to do that? I think I, if he is, and he, he wants to engage in that. Yeah, I, I think that you're going to lose something on the defensive end, but gain a lot more on the offensive end. And that could help lead to some of the spacing that, you know, we were talking about in, in the last bit of the conversation. How about you? Where are you at? Is that something you've abandoned? I mean, with the way that now he's playing three centers, I wonder how he's going to get back to a place where that's a real thing. You know, like I was hoping to what I thought would happen throughout the season. And I think the injuries and, and maybe some of the, the early failures that they had with it, like in the very early first stretch of the season before Tyson Chandler came, came on board, that um, they just didn't have an opportunity to sort of build con- continuity with that. I was hoping to see you know, I don't know, two or three minutes a game or a game here or there where where that type of unit got like a six or seven or, or eight minute run together, maybe a couple of different four minute shifts or a six minute shift. And then maybe they close the game for three or four more minutes, you know, but they just haven't had those opportunities to sort of build any continuity with that. And now as they're sort of on the outside of the playoffs look well well looking in i wonder if luke is going to have the opportunity the opportunity to do it at all and and then i wonder if you get to the playoffs playing a certain way playing two or three centers um i know that there's more time there's more days off during the playoffs and an opportunity to maybe go through walkthroughs and more detailed um, game plans, but I'm not sure if it's actually going to be a thing that they break out and have confidence in to stick with during a playoff series, if that makes sense. It, if I mean, it seems it, like something you got to have some reps at during the regular season at the very least, right? Yeah, and, and I'm wondering if 
they're going to have the commitment to actually get those reps in. Considering the fact that he's actually at the point now where then rather than going small, he's actually going the opposite. He's playing three centers like every game now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, should be interesting. Um, all right, uh, next episode, we will discuss the Anthony Davis situation in depth. So you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast, and we will catch you guys next time. Just give me a chance to think. It takes <laughs> me a little while to get wound up. I know it does take you a while to think. Rebound to Vladi. Nice rebound to Vladi. Oh, magic ahead. Go to face. Goes under and scores. Woo! Passing ovation. Listen to the crowd. I think that is a cosmetic call, baby. Okay, kid, you're all right, my book. <laughs> Will you get these idiots out of here? <laughs>